makes me angry. God, um, I love women so much. So anything where I feel like women are being hurt or abused or disrespected or anything like that gets my blood boiling in, in a certain kind of way. Welcome to Women Are Mad, where we invite women to bring their anger into everyday conversation. We're all feeling it. Let's get together to work out what to do with it. I'm Jennifer Cox. And I'm Salima Saxton. I growl. Hi, Salima. Yes, I, I. I know it was like an <laughs> attempt at a sexy voice. What which grand lady, what grand dame has made you angry this week? Um... You know what? It's more about the expression of my anger. Um, okay. I feel like I navigate the kind of comedy slash, like the clown role in my family as it is. Like, oh, their mum goes. Okay. And, it's not taken um, seriously. No. And basically, I really lost my temper for a few family reasons, shall we call them. Mm. And uh, basically... My eldest child, who's 13, and my youngest were literally rolling on the floor with laughter. So, no. I mean, probably no. not helped by the fact that I was like in halfway out of the bath with a towel, a towel kind of clutched to my chest, like a Austin heroin. So yeah, and I don't so do anger. But also it's time, isn't it? You know, expressing anger when you're in a family unit or in a unit where you're looking after other people, whatever that family consists mm. of for you. You know, mm. anger then isn't an easy, straightforward thing. You don't sit down in a kind of darkened room and take a kind of deep breath and say, guys, let's have a chat about how I'm feeling. It comes out in kind of bursts. And mine comes out, you know, when, my, when I'm just like post a bath, the kids have done something and I've got half a face mask sliding down my face. So, yeah, I probably right. did. But like, You don't have the luxury. You don't have no. the luxury to be angry. No, exactly. It's it's making me think about um, this week, someone wrote into us and said that the thing that's making them really angry is how difficult it is for women to show their anger. Mm. And um, she mentioned how at work, she did try to vocalize something that was making her feel furious. Mm. And a colleague, a female colleague, looked deeply concerned and suggested she pay a visit to the GP oh no mm. oh no For I mean real. I'm laughing For actual I'm laughing in my position as circus clown but I mean that's not remotely funny <laughs> the I circus juggle, clown juggle my is unicycle. similarly aggrieved I think yeah I am oh god mm. that's awful yeah um yeah Oh, so who have we got this week to share in our rage with us? Well, I will introduce because I love this woman. So her name is Umbreen Razia. If you haven't heard of her, you will hear of her very, very soon. She is my very favourite British Asian South Londoner. And I know a few, just to be clear. <laughs> she's not the only one I know. Um, so she's the woman behind the diary of a Hounslow girl and most recently starred in Ted Lasso. Am I saying it right? You said it right. Yes. yes. I, did it, I did it for Umbria. Yes. Yeah. It's only because I auditioned for it and didn't get the parts. So I think I mispronounced it for a long time. Out of anger. Out of anger, Probably. exactly. An unconscious rage. But mm. she was in Ted Lasso and she was absolutely brilliant as Shandy Fine. So please welcome Umbreen Razia. 
Hi, I'm Brian. Chic and great with your Stunning. hair. Stunning. Stunning. <laughs> I mean, can yeah. I just say? So, my mum is not remotely interested by this podcast. In fact, she's very suspicious of it because she's like, "Who's angry?" <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, laugh. But I. So I said, "Umbreen's coming on," and she was like, "Umbreen." Oh, interesting. Actually, uh, actually, is she Pakistani? And I was like, yeah, I think that's her origin. I'll double check. I can't remember. And so my mum was like, tell Umbreen she can come to my house. I'd love oh. to listen to her thing. Mummy's invited. Like, she was hot. Like, you are like the only person she's been remotely interested in thus far. I would love to come round for some dinner. Yeah. Nasreen. <laughs> Nasreen. Oh, oh, would you? <laughs> Makes a great pakora. Oh, love it. Okay, good. Well, I'll tell Nanu. Love the name Shandy Fine. Yeah, I do. Uh, Juno, well, it was Shandy. And then Juno said in one of the improvs, she went, Shandy Fine. And I went, oh. And then they went, we should, that should be our name. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. So it sort of came from that. That's good. I'm going to start asking you some questions. Yeah. Um, Umbreen, what makes you angry? (laughs) <laughs> go go <laughs> yeah you've got you've got as long well, as you want yeah what makes me angry god um well let's start with the kind of um just basics being hungry makes me so angry I d- it does something to my body it consumes me i get hangry beyond belief injustice of any kind makes me angry um I love women so much. So anything where I feel like women are being hurt or abused or disrespected or anything like that gets my blood boiling in in a certain kind of way. What makes me angry? Obnoxious people make me really angry. Um, Obnoxious in what sense? There's lots of variations. Oh, my God. So the other day. I was walking out of the station and there was this girl who was, you know, the people who fly are on the street and they're trying to, they're like, excuse me, miss, excuse me. Um, She came up to me and she was like, um, she was like, excuse me, excuse me, and stuck her hand in my face. And I I know I'm on, on TV and I need to watch myself and just be really careful. But I was like, what are you doing? And I just think we're in this space now in the world where, or in society, particularly London, where people are becoming less and less aware of one another. Ooh. Yeah. Although, although in her defence, can I just say that one of my first jobs was as a, what are they called when you when you wear like um The charity yes, fundraiser. I was a chugger. I remember chugger. that. Do you remember that period yeah. in my life? Yeah. Yeah, and do you remember, when I, bumped <laughs> into that, do you remember when I bumped into that really, that really handsome man from university and then he kind of went, Oh, hi, Slima. Like, what's happened oh, to you? Oh, God. Yeah. But um, we, I was probably annoying in terms of getting into people's space back then. Maybe it was because it was hot. Yeah, I was just like, I'm just done for today. And you know what? It's so funny because we're talking about sort of anger and rage and stuff. And I definitely have a lot, a lot in me um, that gets channeled in lots of different ways. And it, that sort of happened. And I did feel a little bit sort of bad afterwards. But then I, I part of me was like, I feel like there's like a... Like, even though I'm only 30, I feel like there's like an old headmistress teacher in me as well who wants to sort of tell people off a little bit. So I think I just I just had to 
kind of tell her off. She was really young as well. Mm. And yeah, so you were like boundaries, boundaries. But I've done sales and I've done that stuff all my life. I've worked in customer service before. I was just a bit like, this is not on. Whereas if I, I hadn't done all those dirty jobs back in the day, I don't think I would have had the right to say. Maybe, yeah, I you're agree. right, I agree. Actually, yes. You earn the right, you earn the yeah, right. You do. Well, what were your top three terrible jobs because I'll tell you mine what were your, what were your like three worst Nando's was oh you beat me okay oh <laughs> no oh Nando's was because when you work there you're a waitress and you do everything you know you do everything so I was oh, working you- like double shifts 12 hours a day waitressing um and then also cleaning yeah you, you when you if you close you have to close so you have to put the tape you have to clean the tables put the chairs up clean the toilets, clean the sinks. Another one which was a little bit soul-destroying was working for a, um, like a dodgy security system company where I had to sell security systems to old pensioners and I just felt oh, really, no. really, I felt really awful doing it. Um, but when you're young, like when I was in college and I was like, well, I just sort of want to just go out with my mates on the weekends and I don't know if your conscience is necessarily... I don't uh, think you've developed it at that point. You, you kind of you do feel things but you can't quite work out sort of why like why you're feeling that way and how and I just remember feeling a bit empty and a bit soulless after that mm. um and it was full of like dodgy blokes you know just crooks you know like really deep down they just were I think just waitress I've done a lot of waitress wait- yeah it's it's knackering and also as a woman and as a waitress exactly you get sexualized a lot. But I don't know about you, Umbreen. I because I I fell into a kind of role. So I just I like I am quite klutzy and clumsy. But basically, because I was a young woman in that kind of industry, I kind of hammed up unintentionally. Klutzy Salima. Oh, Klutzy Salima. Will you open the mm. wine? I can't. It was like a kind of shtick that I developed. Mm. It was actually really undermining. I now look it's back so at my 19-year-old myself. Makes your day easier, doesn't it? Just, so it's like a performance. It is in a way. Definitely adopted this kind of vivacious person and character just to make the day a bit easier. And you work for tips, don't you, Salima? So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hence the kind of klutz, like, oh, I can't open my wine. Can you? Ha, ha, ha. And then, yeah, I was great at getting tips. It was yeah, a, little, you, a little comedy routine I developed. Oh, yeah, it's and, making me feel really sad. I know. And you sort of learn a lot about class as well, working in places like that. Like for acting, I was going to be a hairdresser and I learned a lot about class working in a hairdresser in terms of who tips and who doesn't tip. So who tips? Uh, it's really... so Okay, so waitressing-wise, what I found was that I found like working class people, this is like, this is a, this is based on the generalization of Nando's, by the way. I'd say that's a substantial slice of the demographic. I think you've, you know what you're talking about now. Yeah. A lot of people go there. So Mm. I'd say upper class people tip the most. Um, Then I'd say sort of working class people would kind of would tip after that. And I think it's the, it's the relationship to you and also the fact that you're working all the time and there's a sympathy and an empathy for the working person. You get it. But they'd usually like all put something in, like a group of lads would just put put a little bit in here and there and give you a tip. And then I found new money, like middle-class people, I barely got any tips off them. Ew. Interesting. So what is that? How would you explain that? 
Well, that's just, I think it's because if it's new money or if it's like working, I think there's something, it's something to do with having, having spent your life uh, working towards so something. So you're clinging on now. Yeah, fear of yeah. losing it, and, it, and acceptance of hierarchy, isn't it? Because often, you know, like so, my husband, who's from I suppose, like yeah, very working class background, says he's most happy with people at, at the both ends of the spectrum, where he struggles with the middle classes where I come from, my yeah. kind of world, and the men, the kind of men that I grew up with, my husband struggles with. Whereas these two ends, he's much more content with, which I think is interesting. You learn so much about society and humanity, but as a, as a hairdresser as well you'd get these big, big tips at Christmas from upper-class women. And I was like, I mean, it's, it was just extraordinary. Wow. Did you actually cut hair then? No, I didn't get that far. So I basically, I was shampooing and learned how to colour and, and do shampoos and sets and everything while I was still at school. And then it got to the final year at school and my... Um, teacher said to my mum at parents' evening, I think, Ambreen, because she said, what do you want to do, Ambreen? Because all I did was chat in school and get detentions all the time and just not listen sometimes. And she she would just say, well, what is it that you want to do? And I said, I just really want to be a hairdresser. I'm so dead set on being a hairdresser. I love the clients. You know, I was working at a salon called Prima Donna in Sutton at the time. I loved shampooing hair. I loved having the same chat. You knew what you were going to get. And then I went to Vodka Revolutions on the weekend. The life couldn't get any better at that age. I mean, that is pretty sublime. It was It was amazing. Yeah. Money in your pocket. Yeah. So I, I did that. And I just remember thinking, I just love this. Work in hairdressers and go to Vodka Revolutions every weekend with my then boyfriend and my then friends and everything. And then my drama teacher said to my mum, I, I think Ambreen should try should do drama. She's she's very good at it. And I was like, I was like, I don't know. There's no, ugh, it takes ages to make money in that. That was true. Um, sort of a bit of a like on the hustle at that time. And I was like, it makes money, makes it, you know, top up the lecky key, don't have to worry, mum doesn't have to worry about that. And loved it. And um, then anyway, so I went to college and I did I did drama. Wow. I mean, that's a, a shift away. Big shift away, yeah. Mm. So I'm saying Umbreen, like my mother says Umbreen. So do you call yourself Umbreen? I love it. I mean, that's true. Is that okay? Okay, I was going to say, because I don't mean yeah. to like mispronounce your name. Okay. I absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah. I'm going to force you back to anger now, Umbreen. Can you tell us about how you would express anger when you do feel it? Tell me about as well this the idea of this sort of injustice thing because mm, I really that's like interesting. Mm. yeah where where I want to hear where you would go with that and mm. and how do you express it when you feel it? So I think having grown up with women, just you know, just women who have essentially just gone do you know what the men have gone that's it they've gone you have to accept it there's no longing for them or missing them they're not coming back so now what we're going to do is we're going to set a new foundation and it's not patriarchal it's matriarchal so this is the ground we're going to work from now and this is what you have to deal with so there was this sort of structure that was set up by the women in my family where it was the men had gone and they they were gone. There was no talk of them or anything like that. So I grew up with all these very, very, very strong women. I think that architecture is incredible to have, of course, until you go to school or until you go to college or university and you see people with 
two by four families and you see like very strong kind of male figures in, in people's lives and father figures. And then you kind of go, hang on. Okay. I think it was incredibly noble and brave and I wouldn't change it for the world, what the women in my family did, but it feels like there's a level of injustice here. Why couldn't I have my dad around? Um, what kind of person would I have been if he was around and if he was capable of of, of, of being a good dad? Um, so you start to learn all those things. And I think I just feel it's highly connected to the women in my family. Um, and I just feel like they had to just step up and be really strong. And it still angers me up to today a little bit because I'm like, I think if they could, if they, if they, if, if you asked them and you said, if I said, mum, if you could have a really, really strong, capable, noble man behind you, if you could, would you? And she would have gone, yeah, but I didn't. I think it's that. I think that's what fuels it is that I've I've lived with women who have had to kind of just get on with it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and as strong as they were and as much as they just ploughed through it, I know it took its toll on them. Because they or, didn't choose it. It wasn't what they wanted necessarily. No, and not from a culture that we're from either, as you probably know, Salima, like, you know, having having a two by four family level of conservatism is considered to be the norm. Yeah. And also, I mean, that's why my mum stayed with my dad, In as Jenny knows, in not a great mm. situation for, mm. for 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. only reason why, because what would everybody and else think? And it was devastating when, she, when it was over. Right. Even though, I mean, I won't go Even into it though. here, but mm. I mean, it's because yeah, it's the shame. My mum still talks about the shame of it, which is really sad. Is there shame. is a real sadness to it in terms of how other people see it and 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 view it you know within the community or other people and they you know they see you know divorce as being something that's that's really it's really frowned upon in our in our community and you know in our in our family it's just like there's it's a hundred percent divorce rate and there's a part of me that feels really really like so proud of these women that that have gone do you know what bloke is just not quite cutting the mustard mm. and i think i'd be better off alone and i've 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 been really lucky i've been mani- i've managed to take that into my life mm. um but i think if you did ask them if i said mum would you have you know if if you could choose would you have a, a brilliant strong man by you she would say yes but also just not putting up with any nonsense either so you is your mum first generation here um yes mm. yes i would be second generation yeah, I get so you're, yeah so first generation she was born oh no i get confused too so like i'm first generation is, is you, no i'm second generation because my mom came you're second because your mum arrived here yeah so my mum mm. was born in uh mumbai and came yeah. and came here at 16. so yeah. when did your mum come here or she was here i think i'm third generation yeah i was then. just gonna say I- you third because also, Umbreen's really young, isn't she? Yes, I was going to say, I'm like your mother, basically, we forget, we're, we're really old now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm your mother. My nan came over to my mum when she was two years old. So okay. I think maybe I'm second. No, you're third. You're third, technically, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so third generation. So, yeah, mum was second generation. In terms of this idea of, of anger, of something sort of being internalised at the 
injustices of maybe what had happened to them, what men had done to them, the, the, the positions they'd been put in by men and by the decisions of men. What do you think that anger, if, if that is indeed what they were left with, what, how did that get sort of spelt out? Like, was it more as a fuel of like, we are going to do this? Was it a sort of determination? How was it? I think it was that. I think it was, I think it was that. I think it was determination to create a new normal for for all of us for us kids and we're all basically girls i've got one cousin who's a, who's a male but we're all girls and it was just creating a new it was like right we this is this is new to us because my um all of all of the people that my grandmother came over with most of them are still married to their husbands after 45 years you know so suddenly it's like it's with that anger and that determined, you know, it's we we're going to plow on and we're going to create a new normal. And and they did. And it was it was incredible. But I think there is something within me where I still have that that anger that they these women were left to create a new normal. Anger mm. towards whom or what system or is anything specifically or generalized anger and which maybe has become part of your ambition and your propulsion towards where you are now i think it's anger not i wouldn't say it's even as simple as anger anger towards the men who left yeah that's what i'm wondering Mm. capable i don't even think it's that i think it's more of like a system that exists it's an towards a system that exists um where that uh, that the, the women sort of doing it for themselves or having to do it for themselves um, is not seen as normal, normal right. particular culture mm. um, and the judgment around it. So that's what angers me, I think, is, is not mm. being able to, to consider it as a part of society and consider it as, as a way of existing because, it, so, you know, it's like, what what were these women supposed to do? Just... Is it supposed to be like a Lorca play? And were they supposed to yearn for these men forever and howl and wail and cry? No, we've got to get on with life, you know. Did you grow yeah. up in a community a week? Because like I, you know, so I mixed and I grew up in the country, in a very British countryside, like in a thatched cottage. And so my mum was like literally the only Pakistani in the village and used to go to like the village school and do like samosa demonstrations and things. So my mum was very separate to any kind of community. And I think that was not beneficial to her mental health. But where you grew up, were you part of a big extended community? I feel like my mum took us away from that quite quickly right. as a single single mum um so I think my nan always had kind of connections to a community of women and they would come in and out of her house but I think my mum being a single mum to me and my sister I think she just wanted out of it and she just wanted a bit more so she took us away from it so I didn't have the community around me necessarily growing up I, I never had that upbringing my nan was a huge support for my mum. I think that's probably why they went six months apart and they passed away six months apart because they were so... Oh, gosh. ...bolted, you know, and and, um, my grandmother would just... Because my mum was her young, she would just forgive, like, love and forgive her, you know, for whatever she she did. 
Um, but I think also my nan was made of totally different stuff. I think she also bared the, the, the opinions and the judgments of the community. And she kind of felt that more than my mum did and was almost a gatekeeper for that and kept to keep, to keep that out. Um, but I don't think my mum really gave a shit. <laughs> What's your mum? What was your mum's name? Alia. Alia. Yeah. That's a beautiful name. Yeah. Mm. So I think it's really complicated. Every every situation is complicated. Mm. I, I didn't definitely didn't come from like an upbringing where it was like you live in, you know, you live in like a cul-de-sac and everyone's sort of there and, and kind of knocking on the door and, you know, bringing samosas around every two. So it wasn't that. <laughs> it was, um, mm. there was definitely some feeling of the, of the community. But I felt like my mum was just such a transcendent um, mm really give a toss about any of that it was all about her girls and it was all about all about the future and all about being a strong independent woman it's just on I'm wondering about whether your sort of determination to succeed yeah. and like Salim said earlier, your ambition is is sort of, is, that's the legacy maybe. That, Although, that Jen, we, we are assuming that she has determination to, to succeed. She could have Do just you have, been, are you determined to yeah, succeed? Yeah, because maybe she's just super talented. Are you not? It's just fallen into her lap, which is quite <laughs> possible as well. <laughs> do you not want to succeed at all? <laughs> I, I mean, I do. Like, I, it's... <laughs> So um, to, to me, sort of, I guess, success, my idea of success is doing everything that I want to do with lots of integrity. Mm. Um, and that might just be, it, it might be anything, but it, it has to have sort of truth and integrity behind behind it. You know, I, I, I think the idea of success, I think success and what people think it is, I think People think, you know, for example, success and fame and success and followers and success. It, it just, I, people, it just does not make you happy. It will never make you happy. Um, and I guess, I guess a successful day, a successful success for me is waking up, doing some writing and knowing that I've uh, sort of enriched myself and just completely like been able to just, write something for the day and mm. I guess I feel like I am sort of living in this kind of really happy place where I'm I get paid to do what I love and that was always my main my main thing but yeah, I that's think success that's like the biggest success ever I'm uh, like looking at you like a proud mum we I'm always ask about like um you know what what sort of counteracts negative or or angry emotion in you and maybe this point about sort of finding something in a day that you can feel good about, you know, that you've achieved for yourself yeah. is in that sort of ballpark. I think as well, when you, when you see death quite early in your life. How old really, were you? I was 26 when my mum passed away. Mm. And I think what happens is that it, it gives you, it, it, it grow up really fast and it does give you a whole nother perspective and I think there's something about I don't know whether um, I mean I, I I'm don't, I'm sure you know about it, Salim, about the guzzle, which is the washing of the body. Um, so having washed my mum's body before the burial, and I always you know talk to my sister about this and just say like I remember just we, you you wrap the body in white and then put them in the in the coffin and you wash the body, wrap them in white, and I just remember thinking, God, we really come and go alone, don't we? And 
every day is not guaranteed. And I think when you see death, that's, I mean, sometimes it affects you in so many different ways. And I would hope to God that people could have their parents till the end of time, till, till their end of time. That's the most ideal scenario. But it also gives you this incredible perspective and it makes you realise that not every day is promised. Um, so I think that every day, if I can achieve something in a day, then it's it's a success for me. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah, you're really wise beyond your years. You really, you know. <laughs> we haven't asked you because we kind of skipped forward because we were listening to your beautiful words, but mm. we haven't asked you if you ha- if you've ever had, and also because you're so young, uh, if you've ever had like a really uh, angry period in your life, or whether that was or an incident or a moment or something that you kind of really see as kind of the depths of anger? After my mum passed away, I had, uh, my sister will tell you this as well, I had immense rage, immense rage, Um, you know, to the point where you couldn't even talk to me. I mean, God help any guy who tried to approach me at a festival, you know, who I wasn't interested in. I'd just be like, mate go away um but yeah i just this this ra- like i had this real rage and i think it was highly sort of heavily connected to grief you know to the point where i used to feel this i mean I, i've never never acted out on it but i've to, I felt this kind of rage from the bottom of my feet up up to my head um when really really wound up um and that was before i had any kind of therapy and and before i was able to work through it um, but I was really lucky because I was able to channel a lot of my rage into my plays and into my work. And I think I was really lucky that I found that outlet quite quickly. Um, and I realise now I look back at all my plays and all the women in it are full of rage. They're full of rage. And I think all my rage transferred to my characters. And I don't know where I'd I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have that outlet actually. Well, that feels, it, it, sorry, I just wanted to say how um, that feels so powerful because you're doing sort of two things with that. You are you're converting your own rage into something sort of productive and getting getting it out, but also allowing other women to relate to it and to identify with it and feel as if they themselves aren't alone in it. I think women feel rage. We do. Feel so much rage. I came from a, 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 I came, I come from a family of women who were full of rage, who were full of rage, but also full of like humor, you know, on the flip side, really multi-dimensional women. And also probably because there were no men around to sort of go, oh, maybe I should just behave a little bit like this. There was no, there was nothing. There was no, everyone could just be who they wanted to be. And I remember someone asked me what home, what home is to you. Um, someone asked me that the other day and it took me a while. And then I realized, I think home can be a sort of memory or it doesn't have to necessarily be a place, but it can be people or it can be a certain time. And it was always, when I think of home, I think of my nan's conservatory and it was me, my mum, my auntie and my sister sitting there for hours, just laughing, crying, smoking. They were smoking and we would just chew the fat all day. And it was a form of therapy and it was mm, cheap. We really were able to support mm. 
swear and laugh and cry and I just I just remember that that to me feels like home um and there was also such a great sadness with these women but also such still had such an ability to just laugh you know and make which is which is great yeah Oh, well, they they oh. sound extraordinary, and I'm sure they're all so proud of you. I've got enough. Oh. I'm getting emotional. Oh, <laughs> no, but I think they You're must. You're such know, they, an inspiration. No, but I think they must be. Mm. They must be. They must mm. all be so proud of you. Oh God. Oh, <laughs> oh, Salima. I think as yeah. well. Um, legacy is something huge for me as well in terms of living up to that legacy, and it's not about. Yes, of course, my grandmother, you know, coming over to this country as a single mother, you know, really, she came over as a single mother. The single motherhood started really early in terms of the generations in my family. It didn't start in my mum's generation. It started way before. And um, I I just think that it, it was, it's more so a legacy of like, it's not necessarily coming over in the whole kind of immigration migrant legacy. It's not about that. It was more about the kind of, just the woman that she was and everything that she went through, you know, having lost a child, having lost her son, and then just having children, having gone through things and then having to raise four kids by herself in this country, which was not very inviting to her and still being able to just sit with us and just laugh and, mm. and cry when she needed to. I remember once I had this like desire to get in touch with to get in touch with my dad because something had happened and I was I was really upset and I I carried this kind of weight for him I remember and I was like I, I went up to her and I sat with her and she'd have she'd be like sat in the little in her living room with her sofa and her walking stick and she was like Yoda and you'd kind of go and just talk to her about things um you know wh wh whether any of us were going through relationship problems divorces she would just give you these pearls of wisdom and I'm mm -hmm. sitting there with her and I went I mean, I, I'm really sad. I think, you know, I, I don't know. I'm feeling really sad about my dad. I feel like I need to get in touch. And she just went, why? And I went, I went, oh, I don't know. She went, he's gone. Why? And I just thought, yeah, why, actually? Mm, yeah. And I remember even times when, you know, someone in my family was going through something with, with their partner. And um, she was like, you know, I, I don't know if, if this marriage is going to work, I don't know if it's going to work. You know, I don't think he's the one. And my, my grandmother said to her, um, she went, do you know what? She said, don't ever, don't ever listen to a man who says, sorry. And she was like, well, what do you mean? And she goes, the man who's meant for you won't have anything to be sorry about. And I was just wow. like, this is these, gold. Say mm. them in like beautiful Punjabi as well. And I was just like, you know what? It was just, and yes, don't get me wrong. Life is far more complicated than that. And men do often say sorry. And we say sorry to each other. But she set this standard for us. Yeah, yeah. This standard you want. And life isn't like that, but it's a great way to start life, you know. Mm. But, but but I think that way that the bar was kind of held mm. high for you, you can kind of see like, you know, everything you're talking about in terms of, you know, this, this need to kind of hold your ground, say no, you know, even the person coming up to you, 
putting their hand and, and, in your face it's not, just you know something instinctive comes up and protects yourself no yeah. and also umbreen like you know being envious because i had this envy for different reasons of like what do we say the two by four four by four whatever it is of um two point four two by four but it's the four by we know what i mean yeah um two point four with a four point four two point four with the four by, yeah thank you <laughs> two two point four with a four by four families I'd envy for various reasons, but I do think if you've had a parent, and um, you know, my mother was this actually, um, who sets that bar really high for you. So I, mm. I will not accept certain behaviours in my life. Um, you know, that is such a true gift in how mm. you might go on to shape your life, Umbreen, as well, in terms of what you decide and if you decide to have a partner or some kind of family or whatever, having those kind of that kind of backbone you know yeah the kind of gold standard yeah it's a gift mm. it is a real gift it is a real gift and sort of as you get older you kind of go okay life isn't that black and white you know life gets grayer as you get older and my relationship to men has been really interesting in terms of it's been like a discovery for me well you know in, my- in what way And just like, um, I've never known what men are, really. I've never had a blueprint for a man. So I've met all different types of men in my life. And I'm really proud to say, like, now I have a a group of wonderful male friends um, who are just, uh, who just have, and friends in the past, and even partners in the past who who I've really, um, who who haven't necessarily been able to, to, to give me what I need, but also have shown me what men you know shown me men and it's sort of been a big learning experience for me in terms of what who men are and what men are and then I've now been blessed with like wonderful male friends who who are so wonderful and complicated and everything but they're just it's it's really really great to have that now but for a long time I was sort of discovering I didn't know what what a man was I didn't know what they were and then you know the first time a man lets you down you're like what how is it dating and dating now like how was it in your 20s and where you are now dating I think now you kind of go and I sort of know what what it is that I want and what I need Mm. um, well keep that bar raised high yeah 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 in your 20s you just kind of like you're just going from place to place aren't you going oh you're quite nice oh yeah oh I like that oh god you're you know you 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 really are a good you're a good actor you've got talent you know whereas just and then you sort of realize oh no, it needs like you need something a bit more there. So in your, yeah. but I'm also really content in my own space. That's the right answer. Yeah, yeah, and that's, yeah. that's what I tell my kids now as well. Yeah. Even now at their young age, like the mo- you can't be lonely if you're content with yourself. You just yeah, can't be. you couple up with yourself. Mm. I do feel that immensely. I just feel like um, that's the that is the sort of bar that has been set. I think we should wrap up on that note. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much oh, for. No. Such Thank a delight. You. Thank you. Hugely. Yeah, we're really rooting for you, both of us. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts.